questions to the Prime Minister, Tim Farron. Question number one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will join you in welcoming our Australian friends to the gallery, but I'm reminded of the occasion when the, uh, another former uh, Australian Prime Minister, John Howard, visited this House. Uh, he watched Prime Minister's questions and he commented afterwards that however lively PMQs was here, it was a vicarage tea party compared to Australia. <laughs> Mr Speaker, The death of anyone through an act of violence is an appalling tragedy. A growing number of young people have lost their lives in a cycle of mindless violence that has shocked us all. Our thoughts and prayers are with the friends and families of all the victims. The responsibility for these crimes lies with the perpetrators of them. But we must all do more to ensure that justice is served and to tackle the root causes of this violence so that we can bring it to an end and ensure the safety of our young people. Mr Speaker, I will be holding a summit in number 10 in the coming days to bring together ministers, community leaders, agencies and others. And I will also be meeting with the victims of these appalling crimes to listen to their stories and to explore what more we can do as a whole society to tackle this problem. Mr Speaker, I'm sure the whole House will want to join me in paying tribute to Professor Lord Bhattacharya, who died sadly last week. His creation of the Warwick Manufacturing Group was truly a pioneering partnership between academia and industry. Our thoughts are with his family and friends, and I know he will be sorely missed. This morning I have meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Tim Farron. Mr Speaker, may I associate myself with the remarks of the Prime Minister and to pass my condolences on to the families and loved ones of those who have been the victims of tragic crimes uh, this week. Um, Mr Speaker, Britain spent £27 billion bailing out the banks and they have repaid us by closing down 3,000 branches since 2016, including this week the last branch in grain. They've also failed to compensate innocent customers who've lost £2 billion in fraud. So will she agree with me that the banks have taken without giving for far too long? And will she meet with me so we can force the banks to compensate victims of fraud, to compensate the communities they have abandoned, and to prevent the banks closing the last branch in town? Can I say to the uh, Right Honourable Gentleman, Uh, that he talks about banks closing branches. Of course, as people's uh, behaviour in terms of their access to their finances changes, then banks respond to that. They're commercial organisations. Those are decisions that they take. He talks about the issue of compensation. Of course, this is an issue that has been raised uh, across uh, across the House in the past, and it is a matter that is being taken up and being, being looked at by the Financial Services Ombudsman. Mr Simon Hoare. Mr Speaker. Today today sees the start of Lent, traditionally a time of abstinence and giving things up. Recently it's become a season of doing something new and positive. Would my right honourable friend agree with me that it would do our national soul some good if we all took up voting with the government (laughs) to leave the EU with her good deal and in an orderly fashion on the 29th of March. Can I I thank my honourable friend? He has put forward a very positive suggestion for members of this House during Lent to vote with the government in the meaningful vote. And then, of course, across this House, we would all be able to give up being a member of the European Union on the 29th of March. Jeremy Corbyn! Thank you, Mr Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Lord Bhattacharya, who died last week. As she said, he was a champion of the car industry and manufacturing in general and played a key role in saving Jaguar Land Rover, safeguarding jobs, but crucially ensuring international research is done in the UK. And I think we thank him for everything that he did. Uh, Tomorrow is International Women's Day and I'm delighted that from our point of view the debate will be opened by my friend, the Honourable Member for Lewisham East, who herself is the daughter of a Windrush generation. And uh, we will be making the case to close the gender pay gap as our determination to improve the lot of women in our society. And in that vein, Mr Speaker, can we congratulate the member for Liverpool, Wavery Tree, on giving birth to a son this morning? I, I join the House, I, I join the Prime Minister, Mr Speaker. I join the Prime Minister, Mr Speaker, in sending our thoughts and prayers to the families of those that have lost 
young people. Yusuf Makai and Jodif Chesney, both 17 years old, and the ninth and 10th teenagers murdered already this year. 285 people have been stabbed to death last year, the highest level ever. I welcome the fact the Prime Minister has announced that COBRA is being convened, but what extra funding is being provided to address the root causes of both knife crime and the increasing levels of violent crime on the streets of all of our towns and cities? First of all, I'd like to join the Right Honourable Gentleman in congratulating the Honourable Member for Liverpool Wavertree on the birth of her son. We're all pleased to hear that that has gone well. Can I also say, in relation to International Women's Day, that I'm very pleased that today marks the launch of the book by his uh, honourable friend, the member for Leeds West, of Women of Westminster, uh, Women Who Changed Politics. I hope that book will be an inspiration to other women to come into politics and see a career in this, uh, in this House. And can I also congratulate the England women's football team, who last night won the She Believes Cup, defeating Japan in, uh, in doing so. The Right Honourable Gentleman has raised the question question specifically of knife crime, which I referred to in my opening comments. Of course, as I said, any death of a young person is a terrible tragedy through an act of violence, and we have seen too many young lives, too many uh, lives of promise and potential being cut short. Responsibility for these terrible crimes does lie with the perpetrators, and we will always stand with the victims to ensure that criminals are brought to justice. But we will only defeat the scourge of violence if we understand and address its complex root causes. Yes, that does mean ensuring that all agencies, including the police, have the right resources and powers to do their jobs. It means tackling the drug crime that is fuelling gang violence in our cities and exporting it across the country, and it means intervening at every stage to turn young people away from violence. And that is exactly what the Government is doing. Mr Speaker, many of us in this House will have sat in the living rooms of homes where a young person has lost their lives through knife crime and will never forget that experience and never forget that feeling of hopelessness and loss that those families are going through. We owe it to those families and those young people that lost their lives to do far more about knife crime and far more about ensuring there are sufficient resources for the police to deal with it. Sarah Thornton, the National Chief Police Council, said, and I quote, we need much stronger leadership from government and there needs to be more funding. The Metropolitan Police Commissioner said yesterday, of course there is some link between violent crime on the streets and police numbers. 21,000 police officers' jobs have been cut. Violent crime is at the highest level since comparative records began. If there are sufficient police numbers, can the Prime Minister please explain why yesterday the Defence Secretary was offering to send in the military to assist with knife crime? I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, as the Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police has recognised that the causes of knife crime are complex, she said police alone won't sort this issue out. We can't we can't arrest our way out of this problem. And I agree, and that's why we need to tackle it across a number of fronts. Now we must continue to enforce the laws that bear down on violent crime. That involves the Offensive Weapons Bill, where we've introduced the the knife crime prevention orders. Those were asked for by the police and we're introducing those orders. Um, We'll intervene early to stop young people going down into a a life of crime and becoming involved in crime. We've published a serious violence strategy. The Serious Violence Task Force is working. We've also put put £200 million into the Youth Endowment Fund. And our Early Intervention Youth Fund has already funded 29 projects working with police and crime commissioners. We do ensure that police have the right resources. £460 million more money available this year, nearly double that, nearly a billion pounds extra available next year. But we also, we also need to ensure that we're understanding the different use and misuse of drugs that is fuelling a lot of this crime. And that's why my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, has set up the Independent Drugs Misuse Review, uh, which will be led by Dame Carol Black. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, the police clearly do not have the resources to deal with it. 
safer neighbourhoods teams have been cut, community police officers have been cut, many areas see no police officers at all. There is nobody to supervise these special orders the Prime Minister is talking about. Perhaps she could listen to Nazir Afzal, former Chief Prosecutor of Greater Manchester. Tragically, his 17-year-old relative was recently stabbed to death in Birmingham and he said this, when you reduce police numbers by 21,000, there isn't the intelligence anymore. There isn't the neighbourhood policing anymore. Does the Prime Minister now regret the cuts in police numbers and will she undertake that on this review they will be restored to the level they were formerly at? To the right honourable gentleman, as I have just indicated, we are putting more resources into the police this year. It's, it's no good. It's no good. Members on the opposition benches standing up and saying no, you're not. It is a fact that more money is being put into the police this year. That more money is being put into the police next year. The real question. The real question is not are we putting more money into the police because we are. The real question is why did the Labour Party oppose that money going into the police? Mr Speaker, violent crime has doubled under the Tories' watch. And I've had a letter from Mike in Gosport where he says, yes, it's important, he's got something to say. The crime rate has run out of control because there, are no police, there is no police presence, adding it's become a really unsafe town to live in. I think Mike speaks for millions of people around the country. When are towns such as Gosport and others going to get the resources they need for the safer neighbourhoods teams they need and the local police they need to tackle rising violent crime and provide the intelligence from which arrests can be made to, against those that have committed these crimes? I say to the right honourable gentleman, as we put more resources, make more resources available to police, uh, they're available to forces across the country, including, of course, Hampshire. But can I also say to him that, of course, we look at the powers and the resources that the police need. That's why we are not just putting more resources in, but increasing the powers that the police have. We introduced the knife crime prevention orders in the Offensive Weapons Bill. That's an important step we've taken. It's a step we've taken because the police asked us to do this. But if the right honourable gentleman wants the police to be able to do their job on the streets, he needs to answer the question to tell this House why it was that when we increased the powers of the police, when we increased the powers of the police to deal with those who were carrying knives and to put custodial sentences on those who were caught twice carrying knives, the right honourable gentleman voted against it. Jeremy Corbyn! Crime went down when Labour was in office. We increased the numbers of police officers and the Safer Neighbourhoods teams. Police officers telling me there's simply not enough of them to do the job. Hampshire alone has lost a thousand police officers and their funding has been cut by 70 million. Does the Prime Minister understand the scale of need here? The Local Government Association says local services face a funding gap of 3.2 billion this year. And by the way, that's double in one year alone what the Stronger Towns Fund is offering over seven years. The numbers of rapes, murders and other serious crimes committed by offenders on parole has risen by more than 50% since privatisation of the probation service was introduced four years ago. At least one company wrongly classified offenders as low risk in order to meet government targets. Does her government now accept that privatising the probation service to profit-making companies has been a disaster and should be reversed and should be brought back completely into the public service? I say to the right honourable gentleman, what we want to do is to ensure that when we're working in relation, looking at these issues of, of uh, probation, that we are actually genuinely reducing the level of reoffending, and that is about a rehabilitation method. That is about a rehabilitation method that looks at a variety of issues, that looks at the question of the home that an individual coming out of prison has, that looks at their employment, and looks at their relationship with their family. This is something that wasn't being done 
wasn't being done fully under the last Labour government. That's why we saw re-offending rates at such a high level, and it's why we need to take action. But he comes back, he, he keeps raising issues. I think what he's doing, and I think I welcome the fact that he's accepting that dealing with serious violence, dealing with knife crime, actually requires us to act across a number of areas. So, for example, it is about the work we're doing with young people. It's about supporting intervention in accident and emergency department in hospitals. We're expanding our support to the charity Red Thread, which introduced its youth violence uh, intervention work now in hospitals in Birmingham and Nottingham as well as in London. And we're supporting the £3.6 million National County Lines Coordination Centre. In just two separate weeks of law enforcement action, we have seen more than 1,000 arrests and 1,300 individuals being safeguarded. We commend all those police officers and other agencies involved in that work. The government is giving them the support they need to do their job. Mr Speaker, the problem is that violent crime has doubled. The rise, Mr Speaker, has been driven by austerity, something the Prime Minister told us a few months ago was over. Cuts to the police, rising poverty. The police and Home Office recognise the link, even if the Prime Minister doesn't. But, Mr Speaker, the issues are wider. The privatisation of the probation service has been a disaster. Mental health services are under-resourced. Youth and children's services are in crisis. More than 600 youth centres have been closed. 3,500 youth workers have lost their jobs. Funding for colleges and schools has been cut and exclusions are rising. The public services that were there to support young people have been systematically stripped away and everyone can see the consequences of that. Can the Prime Minister not recognise there has to be a holistic response to this? You cannot keep communities safe on the cheap by cuts and privatisation. You have to invest in all of our communities in every part of this country, something this government is incapable of doing. We put more money into into local authorities. The right honourable gentleman voted against it. A very discordant noise from the opposition backbenches. The question has been asked and, broadly speaking, heard, and the answer will be heard. The Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, we've put more money into our schools. We're putting more money... £2.6 over these two years. More money into our local authorities, £1.3 next year voted against by the Right Honourable Gentleman and the Labour Party. More money into our police, nearly a billion pounds extra available to them next year, voted against by the Right Honourable Gentleman and the Labour Party. But you know, the Right Honourable Gentleman stands up here and he talks about austerity. If he's that concerned about austerity, you would think that he would want to make sure that it could never, ever happen again. And let's remember why we had to take those measures. Because of the state of the economy left by the Labour Party. But what would his policies mean? Higher borrowing, higher taxes, crashing our economy, less money for our public services. He'd take us right back to austerity square one. Mr Merriman. (laughs) (laughs) Mr Speaker, um, across the country, freeholders and leaseholders are being ripped off by management companies charging excessive service charges, often for services they do not require. Many of these people are vulnerable pensioners and are trapped in McCarthy and Stone properties with their asset depreciating thanks to the dominant dominant involvement of First Port and Vincent Chinguis. Could I ask the Prime Minister for two reforms? Firstly, ground rents at peppercorn peppercorn levels for retirement homes. Secondly, bring in a charging schedule and an automatic retendering process so all freeholders and long leaseholders can bid with their own community interest companies to deliver services which they actually require. Can I 
I say to my honourable friend that I recognise this is an issue that is of real concern to many constituents. It's why we've committed to clamping down on those agents who abuse the system and protecting leaseholders and renters who are suffering at the hands of rogue agents every day from unexpected costs or from poor quality repairs for excessive fees. We've asked Lord Best to chair a working group to look at regulating and professionalising property agents, and that will include reviewing the standards around the transparency of service charges and other fees and charges, how they're presented to consumers, and putting them on into a statutory code for, manufacturing, uh, for managing agents. But I'm sure that my right honourable friend, the Communities Secretary, will have heard the issue that the, my honourable friend has raised, and be happy to meet him to discuss this further. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr Speaker, Tovey Macdonald is 87 years old. She was brought up under Nazi occupation in Denmark. She's lived in Scotland for 59 years. Why is she being forced to register in a country she's called home for the, almost the last 60 years, Prime Minister? Yeah. Say to the right honourable gentleman. We want to ensure that uh, EU citizens who are living here are having their, have their rights protected. We want to be able to ensure that they have the necessary support that they need and, indeed, the recognition of their status here in the United Kingdom. If the Right Honourable Gentleman is interested in defending and protecting the rights of EU citizens here in this country, then I hope he will vote for the deal which does exactly that. Mr Speaker, what a disgrace. A woman that's lived here for almost 60 years and the Prime Minister wants her to register to stay here. Mr Speaker, Tovey has children. She has grandchildren. She has married in Scotland. She has friends here. She has built her life here, Prime Minister. Why is the Prime Minister making Tovey register after almost 60 years? Will she end this heartless policy? Will the Prime Minister tell Toby, tell all EU citizens who have come to the UK to work, to live and to love, that the UK is their home without precondition? We have consistently said to EU citizens who have come here, who have been living here for many, many years, as in the example who is given, and for others who have come here more recently. We, we recognise the contribution they have made to our society. We recognise the contribution they have made to our economy. We want them to stay. That is why we put EU citizens' rights at the front of the negotiations with the European Union. It is why we have negotiated uh, those citizens' rights in the withdrawal agreement. And it is why this government, this government has given a confirmation and has given a guarantee that those rights will be protected even if we leave with no deal. That is the right way to protect the interests of EU citizens here in the United Kingdom. And the right honourable gentleman, the right honourable gentleman should be recognising the commitment this government has given to all EU citizens in the United Kingdom. This is their home. We want them to stay and they can stay. Chris Phil. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Five years ago, my constituent Barry Bednar's 14-year-old son, Breck, was brutally raped and murdered. The perpetrator is now serving a 25-year prison sentence. However, in recent months, the victim's family, including his teenage sister, have received repeated, very distressing and disturbing communications on Snapchat, purporting to be from the perpetrator, graphically recounting the circumstances of the murder. The police have asked Snapchat to provide the data that would help them definitively identify who has been sending these messages, for example, data about the device from which the messages were sent. But Snapchat is uh, referring the police to a mutual legal assistance treaty with the US and the police would have to go through a one-year process to get this vital data for their investigation. Does the Prime Minister agree this is completely unacceptable? Does she join me in calling on Snapchat and other social media companies to promptly cooperate with police inquiries? And if they do not do so, does she agree that legislation is required? Well, can I say to my honourable friend, obviously the case that he's raised is one of great concern, and I know that members across the whole House will want to join me in sending our 
sincerest sympathies to Breck's family, and I'd like to take this opportunity to pay, the tri- pay tribute to Breck's mother for her brave and powerful campaigning on the wider issue of internet grooming. Uh, the Ministry of Justice have assured me that they're urgently looking into this issue, and I'm sure they will update my honourable friend as soon as possible. I agree with him. We want social media companies to recognise the responsibility they have and to work with uh, law enforcement agencies. I know my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, has written to my honourable friend to meet him and hear more from the family. Um, this has become, it has become increasingly difficult for UK law enforcement to... Uh, access data if data containing information on threats to UK public safety is held or controlled in other countries. And that's why the Government did recently legislate. We recently passed the Crime Overseas Production Orders Act, which will give law enforcement agencies the power to obtain electronic data controlled by providers outside the UK where an international agreement is in place. And he raises the United States. We expect to establish the first such agreement with the United States. Phil Wilson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As I raised with the Prime Minister a couple of weeks ago, Conservative governments have taken £6 billion out of the North East since 2010. The Government now proposes to give back £15 million a year over seven years through the Stronger Towns Fund. At that rate of repayment, can the Prime Minister tell the House by which century the monies owed to the North East will be repaid? to the Honourable Gentleman, as he knows full well, we have been investing in the north of England. We are investing in transport across the, uh, across the north of uh, England. We have been investing in our public services. We are investing in the health service, and the North East will, will uh, benefit from that as well. Uh, we now have, since 2010, in the North East, there are over 35,000 more small businesses, over more than 18,000 new affordable homes, and over 305,000 children are at good and outstanding schools in the North East. That shows that the hard work of this government is paying off and the people of the North East are benefiting. Even Metcalf. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Earlier this week, the owners of the Westgate Shopping Centre in Basildon terminated Smart Parking's contract after a disastrous nine months of operation. Yeah. I have now discovered that Smart Parking have signed a shared business service agreement with the NHS. Can I ask my right honourable friend to ensure that before any contracts are signed, that the Department for Health fully research the impact the practices of smart parking could have on their users, customers, clients and staff? Can I say to my honourable friend, obviously he's raised an important issue and the Secretary of State for Health and Social Care will be happy to meet him to discuss this further. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Amidst the noise noise of the Brexit debate, there's a real risk that we lose sight of the reasons why so many people voted to leave in the first place. So I think that if we want to restore faith and trust, we need to devolve more political making decision away from Whitehall and closer to the people who will be affected by those decisions. So following on from the very constructive meeting that took place at Fountains Abbey in North Yorkshire with the communities and local government secretary and the Yorkshire leaders on Friday, can I ask the Prime Minister personally to engage with the substance of the one Yorkshire devolution deal with a view to reaching an agreement that will best serve the interests of the people of Yorkshire. Yeah. I say to the honourable gentleman, um, I think he's a living example of devolution of powers from this uh, from this uh, Whitehall to out to the areas through the mayoralty that he is uh, he is serving. On the issue of Yorkshire devolution, we recognise um, that there is uh, uh, you know recognise the uh, discussion and debate that there has been on this issue. The one Yorkshire proposals didn't meet our criteria for devolution, but my right honourable friend, the Community Secretary, has met uh, Yorkshire leaders. Discussions are continuing, but the priority remains the implementation of the agreed Sheffield City Region deal, which will bring £900 million of investment to the local area, which I'm sure he will welcome. Mr. Lopez. Mr. Speaker, it was with profound sadness that I saw my constituency this week join the all too long list of areas across our country to have lost a precious young person to knife crime. The public don't want to see politicians throw blame at one another for these stolen lives. They want to see them take responsibility for what is within their control, provide resources if resources necessary, and then demonstrate a relentless and total commitment to snuffing out violent crime. I welcome the announcement of an emergency summit, but what action will the Prime Minister be taking after that constantly to drive performance on these issues until we get the results the public rightly demand to keep children safe? What can I say to my honourable friend, as I did earlier, any death of a young person uh, at the the hands of violence is a terrible tragedy, and I recognise, as she says, her constituency has become 
uh, seen just one of the latest examples of a young life cut short far too early. Uh, can I also say to her, yes, what we are doing is bringing, as I said, bringing together ministers, local government, uh, police and others, other agencies. This needs to be a cross uh, society approach in terms of dealing with this issue because it's not just about catching the perpetrators of the crime, it's about preventing the crime from taking place in the first place. Uh, that's one of the reasons why the government will be launching a consultation on addressing this as a public health issue. There has been excellent work done under what was Strathclyde Police Force, now Police Scotland, uh, looking and using the public health approach. What that does, what that does is ensures that all agencies, not just across government, uh, but in other parts of uh, in local government and elsewhere, are able to be brought together to deal with this issue. And what I want to do at that summit is to hear directly from those what ac further action government can take, which we can then put in place to deal with the issue. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. It's my daughter's 16th birthday on the 29th of March, and it's her generation that will be most impacted by Brexit. Perhaps the Prime Minister could give her an early birthday present and delay Brexit until she has, until she has informed the House as to the status of the police and NCA investigations after Vote Leave and Leave.eu were found guilty of corrupt yeah. activities yeah. by the Electoral Commission. Yeah. 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 As a to the, uh, very simply to the Honourable Lady, as I think she has uh, she's just discussed the issue of delaying Brexit with me uh, before, uh, can I just simply say to her, we gave this Parliament gave the people of the United Kingdom the decision to choose whether to leave the Euro European Union or to stay in. They chose to leave the European Union. I think it is. I think for trust in politics, it's important that the government delivers on just that. Should Bacon, Mr. Speaker, you are right that the former Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull is very welcome here today, as he said in a lecture last night. If a state-sponsored adversary has enduring access to staff, software or hardware deployed into a target telecommunications network, then they only require the intent to act in order to conduct operations within the network. Would the Prime Minister uh, explain how, given that Chinese law obliges all Chinese companies to assist the Chinese intelligence services, what implications there are for British government policy? Yeah. Yeah. I say to the Honourable Gentleman, we look at these issues very seriously. As regards the uh, issue of 5G security, we're looking at the right approach we need to take. We want to be able to benefit from that new technology, but of course we need to manage the risks closely. And we're considering a full range of policy options. Our review into 5G is still ongoing and no decisions have been taken. Mr Speaker, in January, 83% of Scottish MPs voted against the Prime Minister's deal. Last night, a historic vote took place in the Welsh Assembly and the Scottish Parliament, both parliaments simultaneously rejecting the Prime Minister's deal. Isn't it the case that the Prime Minister has no mandate from Scotland for either no deal or her deal? We, we entered the European Union as the United Kingdom. We will leave the European Union as the United Kingdom. And I also say to the Honourable Lady that the SNP has no mandate from the Scottish people to continue to pursue independence. of politics, there is an elaborate combination of finger-wagging and head-shaking going on, which may be personally therapeutic, but is institutionally disadvantageous. In any case, we owe the Honourable Order. We owe the Honourable Member for Taunton Dean a decent hearing. Rebecca Powell! Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I'm not sure who's in charge of the washing machine in your house, <laughs> but were you aware that every time you or I or anyone else puts on their, a load of washing, 700,000 tiny microfibers get washed down the drain and into the marine environment, causing untold damage? The UK 68 million loads of washing. And what are you doing about it? Contributing. <laughs> <laughs> 
The UK 68 million loads of washing done every week contribute a staggering 9.4 trillion microfibers to the environment. Uh, as many colleagues, including me, try to, re try to reduce plastics for Lent in a, in a campaign masterminded by my friend from Chelmsford, would the Prime Minister agree? Would the Prime Minister agree that this is a great time to address this issue and carry on the great record this government has? By now, the wash would have been completed. The Prime Minister. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Can I, can I say to my honourable friend, she has raised, despite the laughter, she has raised a very important issue. And can I thank her for continuing to be a champion of our environment? And uh, she did an enormous amount of work, which led to the government ban on microbeads. And she's now raising the issue of microfibres. She's raised the, those members across this house who are seeking to uh, reduce their use of plastic during Lent. I think it is incumbent on all of us to be seeking to reduce our use of plastic, not just during Lent, but for uh, time to come. Deirdre Brock. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And can I say, as one of the Aussie MPs in this house, how much I share his appreciation for Australian tennis players. I would add my personal favourite, Yvonne Goolagong Corley, who was such a brilliant inspiration to so many of us when I was growing up in Australia. Uh, the Prime Minister has been refusing to answer for a year now my questions about the visit of Aggregate IQ to Downing Street. So can I ask her about the visit of Alexander Nix of Cambridge Analytica to Downing Street in December of 2016? It was reported in the Spectator's Coffeehouse blog, but not in the transparency data. So can I ask the Prime Minister, who did Alexander Nix meet in Downing Street? What was the purpose of the meeting? And most importantly, why was it not reported in the transparency data? Lady, uh, she's raised a specific issue with me, which I will look into, but she says that we didn't respond on the question of aggregate I IQ. My honourable friend, the Minister for the Constitution, has written to the honourable lady about this and responded to her query. Antoinette Sandbach. Women's football is the fast, one of the fastest growing sports in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope uh, you, Mr Speaker, and my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, will welcome the £70 million investment Cheshire FA is putting into developing a women's football training centre yeah. in Winsford. And can I invite the Prime Minister to come and open the facility? I thank my honourable friend for her invitation. As I said earlier, I was pleased to, uh, I was pleased to congratulate the uh, England women's football team, and I'm sure the whole House uh, will, will recognise the important work that's being done by Chester FA. I think it's a very exciting project. I welcome the commitment that they're putting to providing this new world-class facility for women and girls' football in Cheshire. And can I just say that I will look very closely at her invitation. It sounds like a very interesting one, but of course I can't commit my diary on the floor of the House. Mary Black! Uh, my constituent arrived early to her ESA assessment as requested by her assessors, only to be told that she would have to wait another 90 minutes to be seen. Now She has an open wound, so sitting for any great length of time causes her great distress and pain. So after her 90 minute wait, she was then told that she wouldn't be seen and would have to make another appointment altogether. So, and I believe it's actually happening right now. So does the Prime Minister think that it's right that my constituent have to go through this humiliating process all over again? Yeah. 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 Can I say to the Honourable Lady, obviously she's raised what sounds like a very distressing individual case. I will ensure, that, uh, I will ensure the appropriate Minister writes to her about it. Thompson. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Uh, last week, MPs heard harrowing testimony from family members of a man who tragically committed suicide because he faced the loan charge. A 20-year retrospective tax facing thousands of families in my constituency and across the UK. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister said on the 9th of January that the government accepted the review into the loan charge. Yet the loan charge APPG was only advised this week by the Treasury that there is no such review. Mr Speaker, the Treasury have acted in bad faith, so will my right honourable friend now personally intervene to ensure a genuine review and an urgent delay into the loan charge so that this review, as promised, can be carried out. 
Well, can I thank my honourable friend for his question? And obviously, he's raised the issue which is of concern to not only his constituent but others uh, across the House. Um, I, I will ensure that he receives a response from the Treasury which sets out exactly what is being done in the review that is being taken place. Dr. David Drew. Mr. Speaker, last Saturday morning with three colleagues, I met with the heads and governors of Gloucester Schools. Each school outlined the impact of education cuts on their particular establishment. But they agreed on one thing that the Prime Minister could make a real difference on now with regard to special educational needs. And I hope the government will consider this. First, will the government make sure that the additional needs budget is fully ring-fenced and invested in schools rather than lost somewhere on the way? And secondly, will we take away this ridiculous perverse incentive where the first £6,000 for any education, health and care plan has to be found by the school themselves? If that was to be done, it would make a dramatic difference to our schools. I raised this in the debate on Monday, but unfortunately the Education Minister was unable to confirm. Will the Prime Minister make a confirmation that the Government will look into this and do something about it? I say to the Honourable Gentleman that we recognise we've asked schools to do more, and that's why we've recently announced an extra £350 million to support children with complex special educational needs, and that includes an extra £250 million into the high-needs budget across this year and next, and that's building on the £6 billion in place for this year, the highest level on record. We've also put an extra £100 million to create new school places to improve existing facilities for children with special educational needs and disabilities, and that takes our total investment on that to £365 million through 2021. He raises the question of the money actually going direct to the schools. I suggest that he needs to sit down, I'm sure he has, but sit down with the local authority and discuss with them how they are using the money that is being made available to them. Thomas. Uh, thank you. Mr Speaker, this week marks the beginning of Brain Tumour Awareness Month and I bring attention to the House to the event that happens immediately after this PMQs in Westminster Hall. Uh, good progress is being made to find the right care and cure for people who have brain tumours. But can I ask my friend the PM if she will meet with the Prime Minister, if she will meet with me and others to discuss how we can improve the life chances of children and young people who survived the brain tumour itself but are left with uh, brain injuries. Essential therapies and support for children in this situation and young people is not consistent and often lacking, yeah. leaving them with significantly impaired life chances. Yeah. My humble friend has raised a very important issue, and I'd like to thank the brain tuner Tumor APBG for all the work they have done on this issue. I think it is essential to recognise the needs of parents and carers of children to ensure that the right support is in place when and where they need it. And that's why those diagnosed with cancer, including children with brain cancer, will be benefiting from a tailored recovery package individually designed to help them live well with and beyond cancer. As my honourable friend uh, mentions, it's not just the dealing with the cancer, it's thereafter that is an important element of this as well. And NHS England is accelerating rollout to ensure full implementation by 2020, which was as recommended by the Independent Cancer Task Force. I understand that my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for uh, Health and Social Care, will be going directly to the uh, event that uh, my honourable friend referred to, and I'm sure that the appropriate Minister in Health and Social Care will be happy to meet and go through this in detail. The Prime Minister will be aware of our concerns about attempts to prosecute members of the security forces who conscientiously and courageously defended all the people of Northern Ireland against terrorism. Yeah. Will she assure me that any proposal to provide greater legal protection for our armed forces will include those who served in Northern Ireland? Yeah. Can, I, can I say to the Honourable Gentleman, we have been clear that the current system for dealing with the legacy of Northern Ireland's past isn't working well for anyone. Around 3,500 people were killed in the Troubles, 90% were murdered by terrorists, and many of these cases require further investigation, including the deaths of hundreds of members of the security forces. Um, the system to investigate the past does need to change to provide better outcomes for victims and survivors of the Troubles, but also to ensure that our armed forces and police officers are not unfairly treated. And that's why we are working on proposals, we're working across government to see how best we can move forward. We're carefully considering the very large number of responses that we receive to the consultation on this issue. We'll be publishing our next steps in due course, and the MOD are looking at what more can be done to ensure that service personnel are not unfairly pursued through the courts, including considering legislation. 
Colin Clark. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The SNP Scottish Government has resurrected Alex Salmond's call for a Scottish currency. Does the Prime Minister agree this is reckless and risks destabilising the Scottish economy? friend, I seem to recall back in the 2014 referendum that the SNP were absolutely adamant that Scotland would keep the pound. Um, there have been a few changes since then. They have gone through looking at the option of the euro, then they went back to sterling, now they are into an independent currency. This Government is working to secure a Brexit deal that protects jobs and our economy. The SNP should focus on that rather than continuing to pursue their independence fantasy. The DWP are currently carrying out five reviews into disabled people wrongly deprived of social security support because of the flawed personal independence payment assessment. My constituent, Mr De Laurentiis, was given just zero points despite being unable to prepare food for himself or even dress himself. Recently we have learned that there are over 4,000 people were wrongly deprived of their DLA when reassessed for PIP. 17,000 people have died before their PIP decision was reached and over 72% of those cases that go to an appeal tribunal are overturned in favour of the claimant. So when will the Prime Minister follow Labour's policy and scrap this discredited and flawed personal independence PIP assessment framework? Can I just very gently say to colleagues I am trying to accommodate as many backbench members as possible, and I say and it applies to both sides of the House, some extremely serious public purpose focused questions are being put, but they're too long. The Prime Minister. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. In relation to the SA underpayments, obviously the mistake shouldn't have happened. We need to clear this up as quickly as possible. The DWP is taking the issue very seriously. They've got a, around 1,200 people working on sorting the issue out. We've already paid out almost £330 million, and the Department expects to finish correcting the majority of the original cases by April. It's aiming to process additional cases by the end of the year. Emery Trevelyan. Uh, yesterday, pupils from Tweedmouth Community Middle School won the National Motive Stars Trophy for secondary schools for their amazing work to encourage more pupils to cycle to school. Would the Prime Minister join me in congratulating the school and their head, Mr Holbert, and his team of staff, who are committed to creating a fitter, greener and more environmentally focused next generation of Berikers? Well, can I say to my honourable friend, I'm very happy to join her in thanking uh, and uh, congratulating Tweedmouth Community Middle School for the excellent work that they've been doing encouraging pupils to cycle to, uh, to cycle to school. Uh, it's clearly an excellent achievement and we congratulate them, as I say, because we all know the importance of keeping our young people active. And I'd like to congratulate Mr Hulbert and all the teachers, but particularly the students who have actually yeah. taken this up and put it into practice. It's a very good example for schools across the country. Alan Brown. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituent, Yvonne Chafee's four-year-old son, Logan, is the only child in the whole of Europe with chromosome 7p duplication syndrome, which causes epilepsy and autism. Hardly any prescriptions of medicinal cannabis have been allowed to date, and with Logan being so unique, he will always be denied access under the current rules of proven benefit. So what changes can be undertaken to allow Logan, eh, Logan to access cannabis products to ease his suffering without his family having to go through a very high-profile public campaign? Yeah. So obviously the honourable gentleman has raised uh, a distressing case about his uh, constituent. Uh, we have taken the steps to ensure that medicinal cannabis is available. The decision on that availability is one that is taken by clinicians, and I think that is absolutely right that that's what yeah. should be done. Paul Scully. The uh, introduction of the domestic abuse bill uh, and the, hopefully the successful passage through this house. Does my right honourable friend not agree with me that as well as tackling extreme abuse and violence that we should also be able to raise awareness of the entry levels of uh, acts of coercion, uh, deceit and manipulation that lead to more extreme examples? Yes. My honourable friend has raised a very important issue and I think uh, people will obviously have seen distressing cases of coercion uh, that have led to that uh, and, and indeed some instances where this has been taken through the courts. I think we all need to recognise the importance
importance of dealing with domestic abuse and recognising that for too long this issue of coercion was not accepted and was not addressed. It's important. It's this government that is doing so. And as he says, we must be very clear about the entry levels, about the levels which actually lead to this, uh, lead to the distress. Chris Stevens. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Today is the 10th anniversary of the blacklist of construction workers being exposed. And today, various news reports on the extraordinary admissions found in the Creedon report that the police and special branches across the UK and security services supplied information to the consulting association. So does the Prime Minister agree that there now requires to be a full standalone UK public inquiry into the human rights conspiracy of blacklisting so that truth and justice can be served and those responsible for blacklisting can be held to account? say to the honourable gentleman, he raises an issue that has been raised on a number of occasions in the past and in, re, uh, in relation to this question. Of course, the government has uh, responded on this in the past, and I'd be happy to write to him on it. Board. Thank you. This Ash Wednesday, will the Prime Minister give strong encouragement and support to the 48 Conservative MPs who are taking on an environmental challenge? And because we've seen the devastating impact of plastics across the world, will she also give a big shout out to all members of the House who are taking on a plastic pledge and raising the good work of tear funds and DFID in reducing plastic pollution. Prime Minister, I, I say to my honourable friend that I'm pleased. To, I was pleased to see many uh, honourable friends giving up plastic last year, and I'm pleased to hear that many colleagues are, as she says, planning to support tear funds pledge on plastics um, through UK aid match. UK aid match. The UK government will match donations of up to two million raised by tear fund supporters for a project in Pakistan. Uh, this, we are committed to the UK being a world leader in tackling plastic pollution. Honourable members of this House are showing by their example the role that the UK is taking, and I congratulate them and applaud them on doing that. Sir Vincent Cable. Uh, the Prime Minister will recall the advice she received from her Conservative colleagues, as well as mine, about the dangerous folly of making landlords responsible in criminal law for immigration control. Following the High Court ruling of Mr Justice Spencer that her policy is now increasing the risk of racial discrimination, will she not accept that her policy is fanning the flames of racism in return for nothing but tougher rhetoric about immigration control? Minister. I think it is absolutely right that the government has taken the approach that we need to consider when people are accessing different services whether or not they have a right to be here in this country. Uh, my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, uh, has uh, a written ministerial statement has been issued in response to the uh, case in the courts, and I understand that the government is appealing that case. That's the right. Order.